Good morning, how's everybody doing? Good? All right, it has been a big week for Church of the King. Like Nathan said, the prayer meeting was awesome. Um, Ben's group was awesome, super sweet. Uh, We leveled up, if you know, you know. Um, Today is the day we wrap our sermon series on Philippians. It's been, yay, you were excited to be done, huh? No, yay, 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 hey, we made it through Philippians, right? We finished another book. We've done, uh, since we started our Bible study just over a year ago, Sermon on the Mount, uh, Intro to Proverbs, now Philippians, next comes Ruth, and so we'll get Ruth done pretty quickly because it's a short book. Maybe by Easter, the time we've had our first service, we'll have four plus series in the books. That's cool. That's exciting. Uh, Yeah, Ruth, next week we start just in time for some Valentine's Day romance. Should be sweet. Um, I think the book has a lot to teach us about marriage and relationships and sex and also about Jesus and the church and how to read and understand the Old Testament. And so I'm excited about that. Uh, Have we all grown through our study of Philippians together? Have we grown over the past year as a church just in our love for God, our knowledge of Scripture? It's been sweet, right? It's been sweet. All right. Let's just go ahead and read the passage. Philippians chapter 4, and I'm going to start in verse 10, and we'll go to the very end. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Who was Caesar at the time? It was Nero. Think about that. Especially those of Nero's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for the past year of study and growth. Thank you for the time we've been able to spend together studying this book. I pray that we would take its lessons to heart, that we would not leave this study of Philippians unchanged. As individuals, as a church, help us to not be hearers of your word only, but doers of it. This morning, we pray especially that you would bless our efforts to come together and pray for this community and for our church and for our families. And we pray that you'd bless our men's ministry as we seek to engage in deeper discipleship and accountability and growth, and leadership. Pray that you would raise up for yourself leaders, fathers in this church and in this community, 
Help us to be fathers to the fatherless. Father, we desire to see this city transformed by the gospel. We desire to see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth and in Evansville as it is in heaven. We know that starts with us bringing our lives into conformity to your word. So help us this morning, each of us here, and help us to help each other. Give us soft and tender and humble hearts to receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to ask some questions this morning as we come to the end of this book. Today's passage is familiar for a couple of reasons, right? One, we already know some of it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? That's familiar. Everybody knows that passage. Basketball players write it on their shoes, right? Because they don't understand the context. Uh, Another reason is that Ben basically preached the whole passage last week. So we're kind of familiar with it for that reason too, right? Even though the majority of uh, Ben's sermon was focused on contentment and the strength we have to endure in hard things, we talked about the whole picture, right? It's a thank you letter. That's what we're reading other people's mail. And this is a thank you letter, right? It's a thank you letter for a gift. Church at Philippi loved the Apostle Paul and sent him a gift. Uh, I think these final notes at the end open up again the sweetness of that relationship between Paul and the church. Paul hates asking for money. Paul doesn't like to accept it from anybody. This church is a different story. It's special. Since he doesn't ask for money, not a lot of churches give it. This church, whether he asked for it or not, was intent on loving him and providing for him and caring for him. Paul prefers when he goes to plant a church to be working a job, to be making tents, to be doing something so that he can show it's not about money. It's about the gospel. It's about the kingdom. It's about you. The Philippian church loved the apostle Paul and wanted him to be taken care of. So he says, when he left Macedonia, they were the only church, the only ones to partner with him. And they even sent him money when he was in Thessalonica. The only reason that's important is that Thessalonica is in Macedonia, right? So um, about a two to three day journey on foot, today in a car, about an hour and 45 minutes, okay? So it's like, even when I was in Bloomington, he sent me money. Even when I was, you know, just just up the road from you guys, much less now that I'm in Washington, D.C., which is not just the sort of political analog, it's also about the right distance geographically, okay? So when we think about Epaphroditus going from Philippi to Rome to take care of the Apostle Paul on foot or by boat or both, we should think about Epaphroditus going from Evansville to Washington, D.C. on foot slash by boat. That's a big journey, right? That's a long way. That's how deep their love for the Apostle Paul ran. So, not just while I'm in D.C., like, even when I was just up the road and all the way over here in Rome, you guys have looked to, to love me, to care for me, to provide And it shows something about you too, right? It shows not just our relationship and the sweetness of our relationship, but it shows your love for God and your commitment to God's kingdom. You want to be a part of helping God's kingdom grow wherever it's growing. If it's close in your backyard or if it's across the country or across the world. 
It's a beautiful thing. So, the church loves their founding pastor. The church was committed to building God's kingdom. They were giving to the Apostle Paul, which meant they were also giving to the Lord, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And since God's no man's debtor, in their giving, they also received. And that was something the Apostle Paul was excited about and encouraged about. It proved their love for God. So as we come to the close of the letter, Paul's basically saying something like this. Look, I had needs. I'm in prison. It's not like prison in America where tax dollars go to get you food and all the other things. You're in prison, you're in prison, and you still need to pay for your own stuff. So here he is in prison in Rome. They hear about it. They're sending a guy all the way to D.C. to take care of him. I had needs. God knew those needs. God stirred up your hearts to meet my needs. I had no idea. From my perspective, I was alone. It was not looked for. It was unexpected. I was content even in my need, just trusting in and leaning on the strength of Jesus. And then Epaphroditus showed up. Your gift came. It filled me with joy. You wouldn't have made that kind of sacrifice if it wasn't for your love for me and your love for God and your love for God's kingdom. Now, listen, church. We all know I might die, right? This is the Apostle Paul. This is sort of the context of the letter still, right? We all know I might die. Nero has it out for us. This may be our last communication. So what I need and what I want is for you to be like me, content in every circumstance. You guys are Roman citizens. You know what Nero is about. You're a bunch of former soldiers with strong ties to Rome and you have been persecuted. They don't care. They don't care about your service. They don't care about your loyalty. They don't care about your patriotism. They're coming after you like they're coming after me. I might die. That's going to be okay. I want you to be like me now. You have to be like me so that when I'm gone, the work lives on. Cultivate contentment and plenty while you have it so that when the need comes, you can face it with the strength of Jesus. When persecution comes, when suffering comes, God will provide for you in unexpected, unlooked for ways. All that you need to do all that he requires. Not that you won't suffer. Yet, King David, who suffered much, said in Psalm 37, verse 25, I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. My God. It's personal. It's real. It's intimate. My God. Our God and our Father will supply. Not may supply, not might supply, will supply. Every need of yours. Not some, not most, every need. According to his riches and glory. What are his riches and glory? A lot. Beyond our comprehension. More than we can ask or think. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. In Christ Jesus, he's already given us Jesus. There's nothing to be held back from us. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. That's the conclusion. 
That's how we end. One more thing about that closing bit. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you, all the saints, especially those of Caesar's household. How sweet is that? Remember, this is a a Roman colony. These are soldiers. They fought in the war, right? That put uh, Caesar Augustus on the throne, many of them, were the children of those who did, okay? So in some ways, they're responsible for, they're partially responsible for the Caesars, okay? And it's Nero on the throne now. Y'all know anything about Nero? Go look him up. It's not the kind of thing that is good to talk about. Dude was a wicked, wicked, vile, perverted man. Evil, truly evil. Murderous, killed his wives, killed his mother. Dressed in drag and got married to a slave boy. Like, the dude was vile. And, and he, he hated God and he hated God's people. All the saints greet you, especially those of Nero's household. Can you imagine? Even the saints in the White House greet you. That's the end. That's the book. That's the conclusion. So this morning I want to step back and say, we're done. What have we learned? How have we been challenged? How have we grown How have we changed? What have we learned about the Christian life? What have we learned about ourselves? What have we learned about God as we've studied this book? I do not want us to finish a book and just move on. It's easy to do what James warns us not to do in chapter one of uh, his letter. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, He's a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. We don't want to take everything we've been studying for the last, since September, and say, done, shelved, onto something new. We want to build on what we've been taught and what we've learned as we've grown. So how have we been challenged? Take time and think back. Think about it. Flip back through the book if you have it in front of you. Do you know the book better? Does anybody feel like they know the book better? Remember how when we started this book, I said, I think it's something that we as a church can aspire to, right? One of the sweetest churches of the New Testament, 10 years in, 10 years from now. Can we, can we be like this church? When we look back, can we grow in the ways that they've grown? I've uh, I looked through everything. I've spent the last couple of weeks looking through everything. I've, I've come up with 13 ways that I think I've been challenged and that we've been challenged as we've gone through the entire book. And it could be a lot more. It was. <laughs> I tried to get it down as low as I could. 13 is as low as I could get it. And I want us to just go through the whole of the book and remember the ways we've been challenged and try to hold on to some of those things and rehearse them before we come to the end and move on to the next thing. I think if we answer the challenges, we'll grow as a church and as a community. So here's the first one. Challenge number one. Back to chapter one at the very beginning. Fellowship and community. Right out of the gate, we were challenged by the relationship between the Apostle Paul and this church, right? 
And we talked about it. He talked about their partnership or their fellowship in the gospel and the gratitude and the love and the joy that they shared because their relationships were deeper than superficial stuff. They were grounded in a partnership in the work of building God's kingdom. They had a mission and a purpose that was bigger than just like we're neighbors and we're friends and we like basketball, right? They were the kind of church that didn't abandon Paul when he was in jail. It was sweet. And so we started out and we said, guys, I know we're young. We can't expect to have 10 years of life together through, the, through suffering under our belts, right? But we can now take baby steps, We can't have each other into our homes and get to know each other and get comfortable talking to each other about spiritual things, about God and life and sin. And then that whole week, I heard about you guys having each other into your homes. It was sweet. It was really cool. That's a place we were challenged and a place where we need to continually challenge ourselves and push each other. Learning how to live life together. It's hard. We're not used to that sort of thing. We're used to showing up at church and then leaving church or not being in church at all. Some of us, church is just new to. We want to be a family of people that love God and love each other. And that means we have to be intentional about this sort of thing. We have to be proactive. First challenge, developing the kind of fellowship and community that's centered around God's kingdom, around the gospel, around Jesus. Here. The second challenge is to be truly kingdom-minded. This is one that I think is especially hard for pastors and leaders. As you get further down into chapter one, you see Paul talking about being in prison, and while he's in prison, you see these people who preach the gospel for all the wrong reasons. Envy and rivalry, right? What's Paul's mindset? He's rejoicing. He's in prison. So he's exposed to all these people that would never, he'd never come into contact with. Prisoners and guards and all these people that need the gospel as much as anybody else he has access to because he's in prison. Yay! (laughs) He's excited about that. And he says, not only that, outside the church, people are preaching the gospel. Some of them are encouraged and strengthened because I'm in prison to be faithful. Others are full of envy and rivalry. Who cares? Christ is being proclaimed. That's really open-handed. It's hard to be that open-handed. Especially when you know that the people, some of those people out there are bad actors, right? Like they're, they're jealous, they're proud, they're ambitious, they're trying to get followers for themselves. And Paul has no problem calling out false teachers, but if the gospel is being proclaimed... He's going to find a way to rejoice if it's being faithfully proclaimed, right? False teachers, we get to that later. Dogs, he's got names. He's going to take them down. But if the gospel is being faithfully proclaimed, God works through sinful people all the time. That's what, if he didn't, we're not here, right? God works through us. So we have to be kingdom first, kingdom-minded. Challenge number three, really simple. Love Jesus more than life. To live is Christ. To die is gain. To live is Christ, to die is gain. If we live, it's fruitful labor for God's kingdom. Again, kingdom first. Kingdom before my life. If we die, we get to be with Jesus. 
We must love Jesus more than life. Very simple, very hard. Fellowship, community, around God's kingdom, around the gospel. Kingdom first, doesn't matter who's preaching. We're about Jesus. We love Jesus more than our own lives. To live as Christ, to die as gain. Challenge four, that means we live as citizens of heaven. We may have enemies in this world, but we're citizens of heaven. Our translation says, live a, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. Literally, it's live as citizens. We're citizens of heaven, and that means we don't fear men. When persecution comes, as we see it ramping up around us, as we see attacks on our civil liberties aimed at silencing the Christian conscience, we remember that we are not citizens of America first. We're citizens of a kingdom, and we have a king, and that king rules over every square inch of this planet. Everyone answers to him. Nero answers to him. DC answers to him. He is the king. His rule must be proclaimed and extended. His reign will be total. He will right all wrongs. He will avenge those who oppose him. So we have nothing to fear. Our opponents do, but we don't. Challenge number five. How do we live as citizens of the kingdom? Christ-like humility, that's how. We live in unity with one another, like-minded. And how do we do that? Do we shave the truth? No. No, we cultivate Christ-like humility. Jesus is the eternally begotten Son of God. God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made. He spoke the world into existence. He holds it all together. He is the King. The King did not despise the virgin's womb. He was born in a barn, heralded by shepherds, lived a life of complete obscurity and suffering, suffered at the hands that he made to do good works, mocked by the mouths he created for his own praise. Adam made of the tree and cursed us all in the world we lived in. Jesus, the Lord of life, hung from a tree and embraced the curse on our behalf. The king got low. Jesus got low. If Jesus got that low, if the king of kings and Lord of lords got that low, we get low. We consider others as better than ourselves. That's how we maintain our unity and our love for one another. Challenge number seven, fear and trembling. God the Father raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand. Jesus reigns that same power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead is at work in us. God is at work in us to will and to do his own good pleasure. Beautiful? It's a little scary. Fear and trembling. Set aside our grumbling and our complaining. God's at work in us. We're in a dark, dark world. We're meant to shine as lights. Stars in the night sky. Diamonds on black velvet. Challenge number eight. So, so far we've got fellowship and community. Kingdom first. Jesus more than life. Citizens of heaven, not of this world. Humble like Jesus. Working our salvation out with fear and trembling. Challenge number eight. Imitate faithful men. We've got Paul, we've got Timothy, we've got Epaphroditus. These are the examples that Paul is using, calling us to imitate. It's important because godliness isn't something that we can learn in a vacuum, right? 
We need people to follow, people who set the pace, who show us what it looks like to be godly. Some things have to be caught, not just taught. We have to find faithful men and women to imitate who are ahead of us, who we can follow, who are going to help us catch up in places where we're weak. We all have places where we're weak, where we need to grow. We need other people to help us. We all have things we just haven't seen until we've seen it. From a broken home, what's a healthy family look like that actually honors Jesus? Well, you can be taught about it, but also it's important to see. It's important to see. Challenge number nine, count everything in this life as lost for Christ. There's a world of dogs out there, of people who want you to embrace a false, fake gospel, a cheap gospel, a gospel of your own righteousness or a righteousness that they set up for you, standards and hoops to jump through. Don't pay attention. Everything you think you can bring to Jesus is in your way. You come to Jesus with empty hands. That's it. Think you're a good person? Jesus doesn't need good, wholesome Midwesterners. Your righteousness isn't what he requires. He requires perfection and you don't have it. Leave it all behind. Come to receive a righteousness that's not your own. That's his. Turn away from your own righteousness. Let go of your need to justify yourself. God will justify you. He's the justifier of those who come to Jesus by faith. Free from your own self-righteousness. Challenge 10, press on into godliness and into holiness. Fight for it. Press on to lay hold of Jesus. Forget what lies behind. Give yourself to constant course correction. Be mature. Understand that today you are where you are. There is no going back. There's no undoing what's been done. There's no retracing of steps. Where you are today is where you are. How do we get to Jesus from here? How do I grow from where I am now? I have to be able to leave that behind. There are things to repent of. I repent of them by fixing my eyes on Jesus and moving towards him. I don't fixate on what's back there. I deal with it. I don't ignore it. I deal with it so that I can fix my eyes on Jesus and move towards him. I press on. I fight for that. How are we going to grow today? How are we going to put our sin today, to death today? Press on. Challenge number 11. Do not be anxious. Christian life is a life of joy and peace. Why? Because we have a Father in heaven who cares for us. That's why. Don't be anxious about anything. Not your food. Look at the birds of the air. Remember the Sermon on the Mount. Not your clothes. Look at the lilies of the field. Not tomorrow. Tomorrow's going to worry about itself. You have a Father in heaven who loves you and knows what you need before you ask. He is your Father. Be a child of God. Turn to him. Trust him. You're tempted to be worried. Tell him about it. You have things you think you, uh, things that you need or that you think you need? Ask. Do it with thanksgiving. Because cultivating gratitude will help you destroy your anxiety. And God will guard your hearts and your minds with the peace that only he can give. So don't be anxious. Cast your cares on God. Challenge 12. This is a lot, right? But this letter would have just been read in one sitting. Paul gives a lot. 
Challenge 12. Think on good things. You want to deal with anxiety head on? You want to get practical? You want to get proactive? You don't just cast your anxiety away. You have to turn your thoughts and fixate on what's good. And you can do that proactively too. After you've prayed and given your anxiety to God, told Him your needs, made your requests, turn your thoughts to more profitable things. Discipline your mind and your heart constantly to be thinking on, meditating on, mulling over whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, anything excellent, anything worthy of praise. You take every thought captive for Christ. You do not allow your life to be dominated by your worries and your cares. You have a Father in heaven. Pagans, Gentiles, atheists, they worry about those things. That's what Jesus says. You don't have to. You have a Father. Give your cares to Him. Turn your heart to Him. Fixate on what is good and true. Go to war with your mind. Take every thought captive for Christ. Last one, 13. Learn contentment by leaning on Jesus. Contentment is a gift. It's also something that we can learn. It takes work. It is being happy with what you have, no matter how much or how little. It's being happy regardless of your circumstances, no matter how bad they are. Prison, hunger, whatever it is. How do we do that? Where does that strength come from? Where does the strength to fight that fight come from? Where does gratitude in the midst of suffering come from? Where does the power to overcome those anxious thoughts come from? To turn our minds from them to God and the things of God. It comes through Jesus who strengthens us. That's where, that's how. We lean on him when things are hard. These are all challenges that we can rise to as individuals and as a church. And we have a promise here that I think we can all lay hold of. Context of the promise is giving and receiving of gifts, but it's a general promise. It's a big promise. It can bear the weight of everything we've learned. It can bear that weight 10 years from now. My God will supply every need of yours. Do we need fellowship? Do we need love? Do we need to be kingdom-minded? Do we need humility? Do we need the power to persevere in our faith? Do we need freedom from anxiety and fear? Do we need joy and peace and contentment? We do, do we need those things? Every need. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory. Is he lacking the ability to take care of every need of ours? No. In Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, you are a good father. And I thank you for the ways you've helped me grow in my ability to trust that and rest in your goodness and kindness, to rest in your grace and your mercy and your love. As we've studied this book, I pray that that would be true for all of us, that we would trust you and have power through your Son to set aside our anxieties and our fears, to set aside our grumbling and complaining, to set aside our pride, 
and to humble ourselves before you and to be like Jesus. Help us as a church to grow in godliness and fellowship and love and community and a church that's committed to seeing your kingdom grow in this city and in the world. A church that lives together as like-minded people who consider others better than ourselves, who tremble for you, who have fathers who are good examples and who care for the fatherless among us. Help us to free ourselves from our own righteousness, cling to Jesus, to press on and fight the fight of faith, to cast our cares upon you, and to live with joy and peace and contentment, we pray. Give it to us because you've promised it. In Jesus' name, amen.